God's Word, God's people, and God's truth are under assault and attack. Take refuge in the Lord. We need everyone to dig deeper, to lay the foundation so that we can stand tall for the Lord. Good morning, Gateway. Said it first service, and I'll say it second. I am sick of the rain. I forgot what the sun looks like, and I mean that wholeheartedly. But hey, can I open up with some prayer this morning? And I'm going to read scripture for it. So if you will, just close your eyes. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. God, may my words not be mine, but yours alone. In name I pray, amen. So welcome to Family Sunday. And if you don't know what that is, this is where we have an opportunity to let our kids come in here and worship with us, our students stay in service, because we want them to be aware that they won't always have a ministry specific for them, where we play a bunch of games and I get to make fun of them for an hour. But also today we have our Foundation Sunday. And if you're not familiar with what Foundations is, it's a new initiative that we're doing here at Gateway where every single month at the end of the month, we will have a sermon based off some of life's most difficult questions. But not only that, the, that following night, we will have a training that's specific for teachers and for parents, but it's for absolutely everybody where we will equip you with different things that we go deeper with, things that are meant to give you a little bit of ammunition to use for your own faith and possibly to use in conversation with people who may not believe at all, who may be struggling with the same questions that you're struggling with. Maybe you're having that same question that you just need a little bit more of. And this foundation series is going to go for the whole year, every single month, where we're gonna be answering like today, does God exist? And then a little bit later, why do we suffer? What's the problem of evil look like? Now, our goal is, again, to equip you, to train you, to, to give you information. And then we have three little taglines. Number one, dig deeper. Number two, know why. And be prepared. But if you're like me, I need the why. Why do we do this? What's the purpose of it? Well, number one why is we love the Lord, the church, and his word. You see, it's no secret that whenever you guys look at the world, when we look at things that are going on in our life with the questions that we have, since the beginning of time, they have always been trying to distort and change what we try to follow in the scripture. For instance, in Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, verses 16 through 17, we read this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And in verse 17, they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. 
And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. Basically, if you have people who are coming in, they're going to try to distort it. Don't fall prey. But now let's fast forward to the New Testament and Paul writing to the church in Galatia. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. So from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament to today, we are always going to have to face the fact that people are going to want to distort what we find to be truth. And that's not going to change. And the reason that we love you guys so much and the way that we show it and the why behind the foundations is because we want to encourage you that just because somebody says it's the opposite, that does not make it truth. Number two, we are losing our younger generations. I've been in student ministry for 10 years and it's almost like clockwork. Every year, a student will graduate high school, they'll go to college and they'll have a crisis of faith. Meaning that for the first time in their life, they have been challenged with why they believe what they believe. And for years and years and years leading up to now, they've been taught to come to church, sit and be good. But they never knew why. And we are losing them left and right. The last statistic that I saw where we were losing close to 70% of our regular, regular attending students who'd never come back to the church. And if they do, it's very seldom. I don't know about you, but that scares me. That's a hard statistic to look at, especially whenever I've dedicated my ministry to helping change that, and yet we're still losing. So why are we doing this? To equip not only our three-year-olds, but our 30-year-olds, our 83-year-olds, where the information is the same across the board because the information doesn't change based on age. Number three, we are commanded to make disciples. Our life on earth has been this misconception that we need to like take the grace, the mercy and love of Christ and we just need to keep it here. Where we just sit inside of the church, we show up on Sundays and we're like, hey man, we're good. We got the Jesus shot. But yet whenever Jesus is talking to his disciples, the last thing that he says to them is this. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the very end of the age. He doesn't encourage them to stay locked up in their homes and keep the information to themselves. He does the exact opposite as you need to tell everybody about this. They need to know why it's good. And yet we like to be stuck in our own seats because that's where we're comfortable. And we all fall prey to it. So if you're feeling guilt, me too. So we know the why, now what about the how? How are we doing this? Well, first, our children's ministry is doing a thing called prepped and primed. So if you have a kid who's up here right now, all the way down to our birth, they are going to be going through a very similar thing with the question of the month, like does God exist? They will be answering questions based off that. And if you have the opportunity, when you see Michelle, Cassie, or Aubrey over in Taze Valley, or Hillary down in Beckley, you need to thank them, give them a high five. I guess I give them a hug. I don't know, because they have worked really hard to prepare your kids for this kind of stuff. Our students, we will be hitting a topic on that Sunday morning where we'll be discussing the exact same thing as you. 
on that Sunday night, they'll be encouraged to come here and listen to the other stuff. On Wednesday night, they will have questions based off the sermon. And then with you all, with the adults, you guys have the Sunday morning, the Sunday night, and small groups on Wednesday, as well as reminders throughout the month. That's the how for foundations. Whenever we talk about why we do this and how we do this, understand that there is a purpose behind it. We want you to not only be encouraged with the information, but we want you to be locked and loaded for your other conversations with people who may be struggling with it as well. Now, you may remember back in November, we did a series entitled The Thinking Series. And in that thinking series, we discussed certain hard topics. Some of them may overlap over this, over this next year. But our first one was, does my life have meaning? And then the second one we discussed was, does God really exist, which is where we're going to be going today. Now, there's something that we need to discuss first that we hit on back in November, but I want to go a little bit deeper here, is that when we read the Bible, sometimes we wish that we could read verses that we could point to and say, this is how we know God exists. But let me tell you something. When you read the Bible, God is not concerned about proving his existence. He's concerned about having a relationship and so whenever you're like, I need a verse that says that God exists, understand there is the assumption from Genesis all the way to Revelation that God exists. If you don't believe me, look in Genesis chapter one where it says, in the beginning, God. The very first verse, the assumption that God exists is there. It doesn't say, and here's how we know. Instead, it's like, this is how you know. But then he goes even a little bit further. In Psalm chapter 14, verse one, he says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, he's not trying to offend people. He's not trying to make people mad. He's not trying to set you off before it even gets starting. But he's saying, if you look around the world and you look at everything that we've done, it's foolish to say that God doesn't exist. So he goes a little bit further. Uh, verse three, those people, they who do not believe there is no God, they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand and who seek after God, they have all turned aside and together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. It's like God is looking down. And this is the picture that I feel like he's painting is that he's looking down at the earth and he's looking, he goes, how could you not believe there is a God? And yet here in 2023, we have the exact same question with people who are sitting beside you at work, at the restaurants, maybe here this morning. The bottom line that we seem to be getting at here is that the decision these people have made about him, it's not as much of an intellectual question, but a moral decision. Now, what I mean by that is that we like to put the existence of God on what we feel, on what we have here. Of us. That means that whenever we look around the world and people see the problem of evil, they see so much evil in the world, they see so much killing and, and hate, murder, and they're like, how can a good God exist? And it's a fair question to ask. It is, because I've had it. But on the same thing, do our feelings dictate the goodness and the existence of God? No. So if something seems a little off balance, it's not God, it's us. So when we say that it's not an intellectual reason that people don't believe in God, it's a moral one, it's because we focus on what feels a certain way. And when those things aren't compatible, 
we have difficult questions in our mind that we have to answer. And I'm here to encourage you to ask those questions, to face those questions, don't run from them because God wants to show you how much he is good and how real he is. But we live in a world where we are taught to focus on ourselves. We live in a world where everything around us from every consumer good that we can have is that you do it to make yourself happy. We are told what makes us happy and to do it even at the expense of others. We are told to buy more things because that will achieve like this huge enlightenment of purpose. We are told to get even on people who do us wrong. And we are told to believe in our truth. What we believe is true. And what that leads us to is that we become our own bosses. And I don't know about you, but I don't trust myself enough for that. Am I right? Because if we're our own bosses and then there there is no God, then you are your highest authority. And whatever you say goes. Even more fun than that, my three-year-old has that same fate. Is that not terrifying to anybody? She was singing Big Green Tractor in between services up here. But if we are our, our, our own bosses, then there is no higher authority. Then what does that say about our life? And our argument today is that there is a higher authority and the belief that God exists is real and there's information to back it up. So what are our spiritual obligations? Because we can't just walk into a room, kick open the door and say, hey, if you don't believe in God, you're a fool. That's not gonna win a lot of people to Jesus. Well, number one, live our lives like we believe that God exists. The disciples Whenever they were walking with Jesus, they saw all the miracles they did. They saw all the good works that Jesus did. If there was anybody who should have known that Jesus was who he says he was, it should have been them. So whenever they came and arrested Jesus and they were taken away to be crucified, where were the disciples? They were gone. They weren't there. They knew what was gonna happen. Jesus told them what was gonna happen. And they're like, ah, no, that ain't gonna happen. Well, came as a shock that it actually did. So then Jesus dies, they're not there. But then we fast forward just a couple, I would say days, months, weeks, years. And now all the disciples are being martyred and killed on behalf of the man that they once ran from. What changed? What made them believe that he actually was this man? What was this significant event that changed everything? the resurrection of Jesus. And if they didn't believe that it was real, do you think that they would have been willing to give their life for it? That same mentality needs to be inside of us. Is that if we believe that God exists and that he is real and that he has done what he said he was going to do, then everything about us should speak volumes to the people around us just because we believe that information. You're passionate about the things that you have passion for you are a believer and you have that passion, it should be an overflow of you. So we need to believe and live as if it is true. Number two, equip ourselves with the evidence of his existence. There are over 20 lines of evidence that we have been able to map out for the existence of God, for an existence of a higher being. And that's just the bottom of the barrel, meaning that there are easily more. But our hope and challenge to you is that you go deeper on these things. We're gonna hit four of these today, just really briefly. But understand, we don't want that to be it. We want you to to, to challenge yourself, challenge your mind, challenge your heart, and go a little further than that. 
but more so if you are a parent, a grandparent, if you are a friend of a parent, if you have access and you have any kind of people in your circles, understand what this can do for them as well. As a parent, you know that kids are always listening. They're always paying attention. They're always repeating the things that you say. And you know that because you're probably yelling at them to stop saying that word that you said in front of them. Even the not flattering stuff. For instance, with Everly, my daughter, we were out to eat yesterday, our daddy-daughter day, and we were at Chipotle. And let me preface this with saying that my dad is bald, okay? He always has been. Don't know if I've ever seen the man with hair, even in pictures. So as a joke, we always find him. And if you're bald in here, I'm not making fun of you, okay? I'm making fun of my dad. Dig difference. Until it comes out to other people. So we're at Chipotle and we're eating, and there's a man beside us, and uh, he is bald. So my daughter sees him and instantly says, hey, daddy, that man has no hair. And if you know my three-year-old, she has one volume, loud. So he looks at me and he says, yeah, it's okay, I know. He, he had a good humor. But kids are always picking up on it. So if they're listening and they're paying attention to the songs that you're listening to, to the words that you're saying, think of them like sponges. And if your faith is important, then they should be hearing those kind of things in your life too. In the scriptures that you read, in the prayers that you pray, challenge your kid to pray. It doesn't have to be some kind of huge, extravagant, wearing a robe prayer. Just, Lord, thank you. Read the scriptures with them. With our students, we think that they can't hear words like a substitutionary atonement. We're scared to talk about sin, heaven, and hell. And yet at school, they're learning about algebra, geometry, arithmetic, Excel spreadsheets, organization. If they can understand those concepts, they can understand the concepts of the Bible. And the longer that we think they can't handle it, the longer we're going to be keeping them in this box of safety and we're missing what Jesus said in the Great Commission to send them out into the world. And that's what the foundation stuff is meant to be for you, for them. If we start at the youngest ages, imagine what they can do whenever they're our age and older. And when we talk about like, does God exist? That gives them comfort in those times because at some point they are going to have to ask the question, do I actually believe this stuff? Do I actually believe that God exists? Do I actually believe that he is who he says he is? And if we as the big C church, everybody across St. Albans and West Virginia and the world, if we do our job as a church, even when it doesn't feel like they want to believe, they will because the facts stack up, because the facts are there. So over the next little bit, I just wanna go over four quick lines of evidence to encourage you and understand that tonight we're gonna go a little bit deeper on a couple of different ones, okay? But the first one, bio. Genesis, the idea that life can only come from life. Whenever we look at how life came to be, if there isn't a higher being, if a God doesn't exist, then how can we explain that thing called spontaneous generation, meaning that something just popped into being and existed? How could we explain how well the body works? How could you explain things like, uh, like DNA or the blood clotting system? How do those things work in unison if there's not somebody to design them? Life can only come from life. And if it didn't, then why do we not see more of it today? 
Why are things not just popping into existence without any kind of perfect room temperature, if not for that? Number two, design. In Psalm chapter 19, verses one through two, we read this. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and, right, and, and night to night reveals knowledge. Now, this is probably one of the strongest uh, strengths or, or lines of evidence for the existence of God. Whenever I talk about DNA, the DNA molecule, mapping it out, whenever you talk about things like the blood clotting system, whenever you think about the universe and how everything has to be in a specific point, and if we were off one degree, then we would cease to exist. The answer for me is not that Christians have to give an explanation to why it happens, but anybody who doesn't believe in a higher being, explain to me how that happens. We are always trying to play the defense here, but I think we need to flip the tables and turn it on offense and say, if you don't believe in what the Bible says, okay, but then you gotta give me reasons to believe in that. You gotta give me reasons to believe why the DNA works the way that it does so perfectly if somebody didn't design it. And so far, nothing stacked up. And the longer that time goes on, science agrees more so with what we believe in scripture compared to the opposite. But again, we're gonna go deeper on that one tonight. Number three, and quite possibly my favorite one is morality. The idea of right and wrong, good and bad. The argument of morality says that every idea or a standard of morality is built into our heart, into who we are, into our soul, into our spirit. You see, if there wasn't a universal truth, meaning if there wasn't universal morality, meaning that we know that murder is bad, well, then everything is just a matter of preference. preference. So that means that if there is no absolute universal moral code that is built inside of every single person, then that means that everything you and I do is a matter of preference. So for me to tell you that you're doing something wrong, I can't do that because it's subjective to you. If there is no universal law, then you can't look at me and say, I'm doing anything wrong either because there's no universal law that follows. But yet, whenever we look at the bad in the world or the evil in the world or things like murder, there's something inside of us that is not just a law that's written inside of us that says, that's wrong. There's something inside of us that tells us when things are good and when things are bad. And if it isn't God, then what gave us that? Where's the moral code for it? If not for a higher being. If God doesn't exist, then how do you explain the way that we recognize beauty? If God doesn't exist, then how can you be aware of our consciousness and the fact that when I'm feeling something, you can tell me when I'm feeling something if you map out my brain, but you can't tell me what's making me feel good. You can't tell me what's making me feel bad. How do we explain those things away if not for God? If there are no universal absolute law giver, then we again are our own bosses. And if we are our own bosses, then is that really a world you want to live in? In Job chapter eight, we read this. Such are the paths of all who forget God, the hope of the godless shall perish. And then Paul in the New Testament writes to Timothy, but understand this, that in the last days, 
there will come times of difficulty. And hold on tight for this one. For the people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Happy Sunday. Do we not see a lot of that today? It's not going to get better. Matter of fact, scripture says it's probably gonna get a lot worse. Our job is to, number one, not give into those things, but number two, to stand up against them and to show them the hope that we have. That's in 1 Peter. And number four, subjective experience, meaning your relationship with Jesus. Your experience of a living and an active relationship is one of the most powerful lines of evidence because you can't explain it. And the more you try, the more you have to understand that need, our want for a savior lives inside of us. Whenever you look at movies or TV shows, everybody, regardless if they believe in God or not, they crave the idea of somebody giving their life for you. They crave the idea of somebody sacrificing everything for the cause of the greater good. So why is that built inside of us? Because somebody gave it to us. And your relationship, your active relationship with him is meant to give you that encouragement. In Psalm 42, we read, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. It reminds me of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And and we're gonna read that story. And I want you just to look at the connotations here, okay? And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up, And he knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit your life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, what you might notice is that when the man asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you've done all these different things, right? But when he's quoting the 10 commandments to him, which ones does he leave out? Have no other gods before me and no idols. And why did Jesus leave those out? Because those were the two things that he was holding on to the most in his money. That had became an idol to him and a God to him. And how do we know that? Because he went away sorrowful because he didn't wanna give away the things that he knew he needed to. See, we have decisions that we are going to have to make is are we going to be willing to give up the hard stuff in our life to follow the cause of Christ? Whenever he says to take up your cross and to follow me, he's not saying that figuratively, he's saying it literally. How are we going to do that? What does that look like? There's a decision that we have to make. 
And more so than that, what gets you into heaven, what makes you worthy is absolutely nothing that you do, everything that Jesus did. So that means that there is no good that you're going to do and no bad that you're going to do that's going to make you less good. That means that God loves you the exact same today that he's going to love you tomorrow in spite of what we do. The question is, is what are you and I going to choose in the meantime? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? The question that I'm seeing right now with students is that they are, they're cool to admit that God exists, but the question is, is do you believe he is who he says he is? And that's what we're tackling today. Now, Blaine Pascal, he was a 17th century mathematician, theologian, and a philosopher. And during the end of his life, they had found these, uh, these things that he entitled thoughts. And so he would have these different thinkings in his brain, and he would write them down, and then we found them. And here is one for the existence of God. Number one, either God exists or he doesn't. It's pretty simple, right? But then he goes on a little bit deeper. Since we exist, we have to make a choice. And that's pretty easy. When we look at number one, if he exists, we believe him. If he doesn't, then we won't. But either way, we have a decision to make. Number three, if God exists and you agree and you believe and obey it, meaning you actually do the work for it, then you win. As believers, we get the thing called heaven. In 1 Peter, it says that we have a hope that we need to be telling people about. That's what that is. Number four, if God exists and you disagree, then we lose everything. We lose all that hope if he's there and we don't agree. Number five, if God does not exist and you disagree, then you lose little. So that means that if God doesn't exist and we act as if he does, then we've lived a pretty good life up to that point. If that's the worst that happens, we're doing okay for ourselves. The next one, if God does not exist and you agree, then you win nothing. We get nothing. We have nothing. Next, and the better wager is to believe that God exists. We complicate so much of what's meant to be so simple. Whenever we look at the world and in trying to explain away the idea of God, we have to understand something. God's existence and his goodness is not dictated by us. And neither one of those things explain away him. So my challenge to you, my encouragement to you is start there. If you're not even sure if God exists, start there. Because when we believe that God exists, then we have to understand who he is. And again, he's not worried in the scripture about proving himself as far as his existence. He's trying to prove himself in the person of Jesus Christ who died for you and for me, for our sins so that we could have life. And either way, we're going to have to make a decision. Is he real or is he not? Will you guys stand up with me? Like the rich young ruler, we're gonna have to make the decision. We're gonna have to decide, do we wanna be a part of this or do we not? Do we actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is or is he not? But I'm here to tell you, 
if God exists and he is who he says he is, the future looks really good for his believers. And it's not because of anything we do, but because of who he is. I'm gonna pray. And then uh, after that, if you have anything to, to, to talk about, pray about, maybe explain a little bit differently, I'll be up here on your right. And I would love to have that discussion with you. And as always, if you have anything that you want to decide, we as your church family are here to help. We won't pretend to have all the answers. We won't act as if we do but we're here to help the best that we can because we're trying to create a community in a world that seems really dark. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being the light in the darkness and for giving us that light as well. God, thank you for loving us so much that you died for us and that from the beginning to the end, you have created this through Jesus that regardless of what we do, regardless of what we have going on in our lives, God, your goodness remains the same. Our task, our job, our duty is to do our best to live a life that Jesus taught us. And while we may fail, while we may mess up, and while we may make mistakes, you love us. And because of that love, we have the chance for eternity with you. God, help us to not get caught up in, in all what the outside noises are saying. Let us not get caught up in all the bad that's happening, but God, that we focus on you and your character and that your existence, who you are, alone gives us huge reasons to follow you. Because I don't wanna live in a world where we live for ourselves. Father, thank you for this morning. In your name I pray.